Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I'm your host, Colin Cernelia. Go to talent409.com to see how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. On each episode of the pod, we'll bring you conversations with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, driving accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. Have questions for me or a guest? Email colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent409.com. And let's chat. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Help us find other dynamic leaders and help dynamic leaders find us. Okay, on to my featured guest for today. I actually have two guests on for the second time in this podcast history. And my guests are Patrick Stack and Jeffrey Longo. Pat and Jeff are co-founders of Sports Biz Camps, an organization that helps high school students get a better understanding of available opportunities in sports. Both men spent more than a decade in the sports industry before landing at Johnson & Wales University as professors. This is an awesome conversation and really insightful, especially if you are a high school student interested in a career in sports. So let's not waste any more time. Here is my conversation with Patrick Stack and Jeffrey Longo. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have a couple very special guests on the line with me, Patrick Stack and Jeff Longo. Thank you, fellas, both of you, for joining the show today. Thanks a lot, Colin. I'm excited to be on. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad both of you were able to come on today. We obviously have a really exciting topic to get to later in the podcast, and I'm not going to ruin that for everybody right now. But before we get too far ahead, I do want to give both of you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? So Stack's uh, frantically waving at me, so it looks like I'm in the, uh, the startup position. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, um, have been here in Charlotte since about 2002. Grew up uh, playing a lot of hockey and was able to kind of you know push that on into my career. I played competitive club hockey at uh, Rutgers University uh, and then went on and have worked in uh, professional hockey pretty much ever since. I uh, had interned with the Rangers, uh, spent a lot of time in the uh, minor leagues and um, some senior positions with uh, a club in San Diego and then the Checkers here in Charlotte. Did a short stint uh, for a couple seasons in the NHL with uh, the New Jersey Devils running their marketing department. Left there in 2010 and have been back in Charlotte teaching uh, sports marketing here at Johnson & Wales University. And, uh, you know, still trying to uh, stay connected with, you know, a lot of the local properties and, you know, help contribute uh, in any way we can. Uh, Yeah, this is Patrick. So, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So sports are all around you. Obviously, um, it's a great way to, to get involved. And I just kind of grew up playing sports, loving sports. Um, I was the kid that was obsessed with baseball cards or football cards, memorizing the back of them, like prided himself on knowing how tall someone was or where they went to college um, and, and just always was around it. Played, you know, was never like a great athlete, but was a super competitive person while not being very good, actually, or, or that talented. But I really enjoyed competing. Went off to college at Ohio University and was 
more or less meandering through my college career, figuring out what I wanted to do, got a degree in economics, and no one, even people with degrees in economics, know what to do with a degree in economics. So I was kind of searching for what my calling was professionally, searching for, for something that I, I loved as much as sports, um, where I'd really want to compete uh, and really want to grow and, and get better and develop. Stumbled into an opportunity to, uh, to work in the sports industry through a post-grad degree there at Ohio University and did that. And then ultimately, that was kind of the start of a, of a career in sports. So I've worked in the industry for about 10 plus years, including my time as a professor, primarily in the field of corporate sponsorships and specifically sponsorship sales. So I sold for a minor league uh, hockey team, the Charlotte Checkers. Coincidentally enough, Jeff and I's um, past are kind of inextricably linked. So when Jeff left the Checkers to go to the Devils, that created an entry-level opportunity for a schmuck named uh, Patrick Stack to get an entry-level sales opportunity with, uh, with the minor league hockey team at that time. So... I'd heard about Jeff, but never really met him at that time. Uh, but obviously, his success created was created good fortune for me. Did that for a couple of years. Went to work for the hometown team, the Cleveland Browns, and sponsored sales. Came back to Charlotte to work for GMR Marketing, which is a sports and entertainment marketing agency. So they actually represent the corporations within the sponsorship relationship. So they don't represent talent like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James. They would represent Beats by Dre or State Farm that is actually sponsoring those athletes. Did that for about four years selling agency services. While I was doing that, was um, was an adjunct professor at a number of different local universities here in Charlotte. And when I got the phone call from, uh, from Jeff Longo saying, hey, we have a full-time opportunity at John Solos, would you be interested? It, it kind of put me on a different career path. So this is my fourth year as a full-time assistant professor at Johnson & Wales. Awesome. So both of you have obviously had an amazing career path, you know, starting in sports and ending, well, not ending, but currently in teaching and with your partnership that we're going to get to a little bit later. I'm curious as to how you use what you've learned in the past in your teaching careers now and being leaders for all these students that come through the university and are looking for guidance to you know, figure out what to do with their degree, whether it's economics, like you said earlier, Pat, and trying to figure out what it is. I was that same type of college student, just unsure where I was going to go with things. So uh, Jeff, let's start with you. Obviously, a decade plus of you know, building front office teams, professional hockey organizations, and now working at Johnson & Wales as a teacher, marketing professor, as you mentioned, what are some of the biggest leadership skills that you learned throughout your professional career before you went into teaching that you can now relay to the kids and help them with their own journeys? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, Pat and I refer to this a lot. We uh, consider ourselves to be non-academic academics. Uh, <laughs> a lot of what we uh, try to teach in the in the classroom are sort of those lessons uh, learned from the industry. You know, I, I think what uh, the two of us both try to focus on is you know, here's what the, the, the book says, here's the theory, uh, here's what it looked like in my career, um, how do we make that kind of look, uh, make it make sense for your own? And, you know, I, I think both that and some of the practical uh, relationships that we have and being able to make connections for the students, uh, ultimately, especially in, in this industry, is, is really what it's, what it's all about. So, you know, we find ourselves probably teaching soft skills and relationship building uh, an awful lot more than we necessarily do uh, the actual technical components of uh, being successful in the, in the sports industry. But uh, ultimately, they all, uh, you know, kind of string together uh, nicely. And, uh, you know, we're tricking the students into learning both the uh, technical skills and the soft skills that support them. So, 
Pat, do you think then by teaching those soft skills and the relationship building aspects that Jeff talked about, if we teach those first as more of the foundational aspect of education, that that's going to allow the students to be better equipped to learn those technical skills? Like, is that the, is that the way that I'm hearing it? Maybe, Jeff, you want to chime in on this too, but trying to give you both some airtime here. Yeah, no, and we both want airtime, but we, we both kind of have a similar message. So let's be candid about this. Some industries, you need technical knowledge. If you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be an architect, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be an attorney, there's actual technical aptitude that you need to acquire and apply in those jobs, correct? Mm-hmm. And those are very specific jobs. I would say 80% of the jobs that are not akin to those, including yours as a recruiter, including anyone that works in, in business, it's not necessarily a technical aptitude or a technical skill set. It is a soft skill that through experience on the job, you learn the technical aspect of things. Sure. And I think that's, that's just a gap in education as a whole. When you go into grade school or high school, you don't take soft skills courses or, or communications courses or, or in the sense of interpersonal communications, you might, but maybe it's one or once or twice. Yet we also know that for a fact, people that have more success in industry are able to master interpersonal communication, the ability to move other people, yet it's not a core discipline kind of taught within education. So the short answer to your question is there's a lot of gaps between um, the transition that people struggle with, which is from college to career. Um, and, and there's a large a lot of gap because it's never really been taught to them and structured in the same environment. So what we're trying to do is talk to those college students now and make sure that while it's not covered in a class, right, it's not covered in, in economics, their ability to understand economics is important, but for them to really have a job and thrive, they have to understand economics and be able to communicate their understanding and their recommendation to whomever they're working with. So just in general, I think it comes down to a, a lack of appreciation. Everyone would say, well, I hire people because they're, they're really motivated and they get along with people and they're a good team player, but all those are kind of soft. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's soft, it's never really mastered. And we try to make sure that people understand that and appreciate that earlier on because there's a direct correlation between being able to master those soft skills and, and career progression for any individual. So now that you've both been teaching for a number of years and you've been able to take that philosophy and I'm sure build on it and evolve it over the course of that time, do you find that it's really starting to resonate with your students? Like maybe you had students from a couple of years ago and they recommended to their friends or their brothers or sisters when they came through to take a class with you because they got such a great education out of it. Do you see that happening now? Yeah, we do. You know, and again, a lot of it's uh, anecdotal, but even just having, you know, alumni coming back onto campus now that they've been in the work, you know, workforce for a few years and being able to communicate that, you know, it's a lot of those lessons that they find themselves, you know, hearkening back to, to class and saying, you know, we, we talked about this since my sophomore year, you know, this sort of thing on the, on the senior year. So I think a lot of the students can provide specific examples. And, you know, I, I think our senior students here uh, do a great job of uh, communicating that to some of the younger students as well, saying, like, focus on this portion of it, get yourself involved, get yourself out there volunteer opportunities at the sports marketing club and all those sort of things. So, uh, yeah, I think not only are the students seeing the advantages, they're recognizing them as such and, and kind of being able to say that, you know, this is, this is where some of those ideas were born. And, and well, and, and Jeff mentioned it's anecdotal, but it's really not. There's empirical data. We, we get surveys at, at the end of each class, Colin, you know, it's, it's uh, student surveys of the professors. Did you, 
did they, were they affected? Did they help reach learning objectives? All this different type of stuff. And they actually answer questions related to what they like the most. And it's it's humbling when your students tell you the best part of your class is when you brought in industry professionals. <laughs> Basically, they're sick of hearing from you. They want to hear from people that actually get it. Mm-hmm. But but that that comes consistently every single time I teach a class. They say that they appreciate a professional point of view that industry professionals bring to the classroom. So we know it, and ultimately, once again, we ground our value proposition in the fact that we are industry professionals, not necessarily looking at it from an academic or theoretical point of view. Um, so yes, they appreciate it. And at the end of the day, too, I can't speak for every university. Like I'm sure Harvard is is one way, but you don't go to education isn't isn't or I guess I'll, I'll just speak for myself shouldn't be the outcome of going to college. Mm-hmm. A job is the outcome of going to college. Education is the input. That's what you learn while you're there and position yourself for it. So this concept that you come for an education and that's the product you're getting um, and that's what you're working towards is, is I think, off base. And, and I think employers would tell you the same thing. So how about from an administration standpoint, like getting the support to be able to teach in this way? Because it's uh, while I think it's becoming a little bit more common, it's obviously still you mentioned there's there's the gap between it. So say we have a professor listening at any level, whether the college, high school, and they want to adapt this type of approach, but they're not really sure how to go about it. So whether it's how do you start teaching in this way or how do you get the support from your administrators? Do you have any advice for how to go about it? Yeah, I, um, I'll, I'll start and let Jeff, you know, to me, it's no different than any job I've ever had. There is an external sale, which is you doing your job. There's an internal sale. How, how can you move people internally, even your boss, to understand what you're trying to accomplish and why it's important? And that takes a lot of internal settling. So building the business case as to why and, and laying out the plan as to, if we can provide more professional perspective in the classroom and bring more industry professionals into the classroom, then our students can get more jobs. If our students get more jobs and they can get more money back in fundraising, they can raise a profile program. Like I think it's just fighting that good fight and, and pitching that plan. And secondarily, you know, I think we, I can speak for us, we chose a university that prides itself on experiential and practical education. So we didn't really have to fight that fight here. Yeah, I think uh, I think Pat kind of nailed it. It's uh, sort of born into uh, you know Johnson Wales University uh, as being a very hands-on, experiential place to begin with. But you know, we get a lot of support from our admin, uh, largely because I think they're seeing the outcomes and able to kind of trace it back to where that's come from. So uh, you know, I, I think both Pat and myself have been uh, have been strategic about you know putting together a business plan. Here's what we're going to be introducing over the next year. Here are the new programs that are going to be. Here's the way that uh, students will benefit from it. And you know I, I think that when you see some of the places that students are now getting jobs and now getting roles, places like GMR Marketing or Octagon or Bespoke, where they necessarily where they weren't necessarily in those positions in the past, that, that gives our higher ups the ability to say, hey, let's kind of keep supporting and uh, and let these guys do what they're doing uh, because ultimately it's the you know the, the student uh, benefit that they can see. Yeah, I guess it's, it's aligning with the mission statement and the objectives of the university and understanding what our role is in that and what the larger objective is for the university. And our university, like every other, believes that the way that they're doing education is the way to go. They, they believe there's value in what we're providing, the resources that we have. And, and the only way that we can continue to continue that operation and or grow that operation is by working together. So if if it's our job to prepare students and our students are more prepared than they get jobs, if those students get jobs, they're raising the profile of our program and raising the profile of our program, it makes our program more attractive to 
prospective students, and now all of a sudden we're bursting at the seams because we've got everyone want to go to Johnson Wales, which brings more revenue, more support, more development, more opportunity, and then it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. So I think with respect to that pitching and that internal selling, it's just aligning with the overarching university objectives. And, and in Jeff and I's case with Johnson Wales, those objectives were already kind of aligned to begin with. It's not part of our job description, right? Like we're we're going above and beyond as well. So like that's not to toot our own horn, but we're not just going to class, teaching class, and leaving. That requires actual time and effort and investment on Jeff and I's end, but we believe in it. Um, and then I think we know the market wants it. You know, we we talk to people that hire hire students all the time. We end up being de facto recruiters for entry level positions anywhere in sports, and we do it for free. And everyone has a hard time finding good talent. I mean, Jeff, you've been in that position. That everyone thinks, oh, it's a great economy. Like all these kids are, are ready to roll. Like, yeah, there's a lot of people with degrees, but how do you find really good, talented people that can plug and play? It doesn't really exist. There's not a lot of students like that. So we took that as a charge. I think to say we want to create better talent so these same employers who, who I think my customer is, is ultimately the employer. That's how I view my role. Mm-hmm. I need to do a better job for my customer and we get them involved in that process. What, what would you say, Jeff? Yeah, I think luckily for, for us, that's the part that we're probably most passionate about and enjoy the most. So it doesn't seem like it's a uh, additional work outside of the scope of, of uh, what's there. But, you know, like, like Pat said, we, when you're, yeah, and a lot of my past work industry uh, experience came working for small organizations, right? So when you're an organization made up of 11 to 15 employees, uh, each and every one of those hiring opportunities really counts. Um, and, you know, to have to be able to choose who that person is who's going to represent your team and help build and, and execute your culture after a one-hour interview is difficult. And I, I think one of the, the roles that we serve is, you know, when a friend of ours who works for the, the Panthers or the Hornets, rather than interviewing 500 students and making a decision out of an hour long interview, they could say, Hey, you know, point out five kids who have, you know, constantly gone above and beyond uh, what you've asked them to do over the past four years. Um, and we can say, Hey, here's how this person may or may not fit your organization can really provide some insights to those people, as well as insights to the students in terms of what can make them successful in those roles. I mean, you're, you're a recruiter, Colin. How often, Entry level positions, do people come to you and say, We need someone with technical expertise for this entry level job? They say, We need someone that's a hard worker, that's motivated. It's all those qualitative intangibles. Right. Not once you went the ranks, it's obviously more more quantitative and more tangibles. But at, the employers have been beating that drum forever. Hey, just go to college, get a four year degree, we'll teach you what we need to learn once you get here. You know, <laughs> so I think there's been a disconnect there, and that's what we're trying to solve. Yeah, and I can definitely personally relate to the gap. Actually, one of the reasons that I started my own firm was because of some of the frustrations behind entry-level specific hiring and sitting at interview tables or being on the phone with entry-level candidates and them just literally not being able to say what makes them a, a great worker or how what they've learned, whether it's through athletics or internships or just regular working experiences, like we all get, how that makes them a team player, adversity that they've overcome. And you just sit there on the other side of the table and it really eats you up inside because you know that they have it in them. They just don't know how to vocalize it and how to you know say it in a, in a way that is understandable for an interview setting. So I can definitely relate to where some of that frustration comes from and where that gap is. So definitely can appreciate all of that. And before we hop into your partnership together, 
really quickly, I just want to touch on, because I think this is going to help a little bit with the background. Obviously, you're both super passionate people. It's really shined through the first part of this podcast. And in addition to being passionate about teaching and wanting to help people, you're also just very passionate about sports. And I'm really curious as to if both of you thought when you were younger that you were going to have a career in sports, like you were just going to graduate high school, go to college, and then move into sports like you ultimately did. And now you get to teach in a in a sports-like setting and with sports-type courses and those type of things. Was that always in the back of your minds, like the two of you, that you wanted to stay in sports? I know for Pat it was. He just thought he was going to be dunking all over fools doing right. it. <laughs> The answer is absolutely no. Uh, we didn't know a thing, Jeff. And we can tell you kind of just anecdotally our, our story of how we were bombarded or, or really like flabbergasted. This was even a career opportunity. You want to go, Jeff? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, when I was uh, getting done as an undergrad, uh, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. You, you know, oddly, uh, teaching had always been something that interested me. Uh, and I thought after I graduated, I'd go on and get my master's and get my doctorate. You know, I wanted to go into psychology and again, kind of uh, leads into one of the things that, that helped us come up with, with, with our concept here is um, I came upon it by the opportunity by happenstance. So one of my teammates at, at Rutgers um, had had an opportunity to intern for the Rangers the uh, year before um, and had been hired. So uh, he contacted me and essentially said, hey, you can go do your silly little you know psychology thing later. The Rangers had just signed Wayne Gretzky that year. It was back in 1997. He said, look, you're, you're a guy who's been around hockey your, your entire life. You have an opportunity to be you know, uh, around these guys, interacting with them on a, on a day, day-to-day basis. You know, give it a shot. And you know, my first day coming out of Penn Station and, and walking into Madison Square Garden, I knew at that point it was something I wanted to find a way to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but even you know, as a 22-year-old, I still didn't even understand what that meant. You know, I knew I wanted to be in sports and be around it, but I, I had very little understanding of what a career in sports would look like. Same thing. I, I essentially the, the common theme here is we had a, an individual intervene, wake us up and give us an opportunity. And then all of a sudden it was like, basically, I'm sorry, they, they hit us over the head with it. We're like, oh, oh, shoot. Like, I don't know if we swear on this podcast, but <laughs> oh, crap, I could do that. And then it was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I should be doing. Uh, same thing. I, I had a friend. Uh, his dad worked in the industry. I knew the friends and the family were really close, like super close. There's like a best friend. I got over there all the time. His dad worked in the industry. Um, ultimately, his dad, at one point while I was in school, was like stacked. Like you could, I think he'd be good in this industry. He said, "Go check it out. Here's an opportunity to pursue it." I went online, looked at a couple different opportunities, and was like, "Well, if he said I can do it, and this is exactly like this reads like exactly what I want to do, I guess I'm gonna go do it." So there is an individual. There's an actual person that created opportunities for us, made us aware, and obviously that's what we try to do. And what we're passionate about because we, we essentially got lucky. We got like a life raft uh, that has created an opportunity for an incredibly rewarding program some, built around something we're really passionate about. And, and obviously we see an opportunity to enhance and supplement what's currently happening. So it, it is dumb luck and, and, and not even necessarily dumb luck. Like a lot of it's just good fortune of, of where we grew up and the support systems that we had personally. So I guess once again, as we kind of start to talk about our, our passion point, I think we were, we were lucky on a number of fronts, lucky to know the right people, lucky to have uh, some good fortune and resources and, and opportunities other people usually don't get. 
30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Stott, and what a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one, and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Okay, cool. So I think that segues us really well into talking about sports biz camps. And we're going to come back to your background a little bit later in the conversation. And you'll see why I'm going to tie it all together. But so you both started sports biz camps. It just officially started in 2019, correct? That's right. Yeah. All right. So tell us, give us, I guess, the the quick rundown of how this whole thing started. Like what, I mean, obviously a lot of passion and I think we've talked about some of the reasons as to why you may have decided to start this partnership together, but where did the idea like actually become serious? Like when, when did you become serious about starting this up? We would need a seven hour podcast to talk about (laughs) all all the connecting up the dots. But if we launched in summer 2019, Jeff, we probably had an inclination in fall of 2018. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Maybe like over beers, we're talking about a couple different ideas and then it really started to materialize in Q1 of 2019. So we essentially really formalized the idea, got everything together, and built the whole the whole plane in the air in seven months, I guess. Yeah. Um, but we had insight after insight. We had our own personal experiences. And I think that the primary insights that we identified, apart from our personal experiences and, and our good fortune of knowing people that were in the industry that helped us along, that, that was good fortune. So we wanted to make sure that we could do that for someone else. Um, if you didn't grow up in a neighborhood where you would know somebody that worked in sports, then you otherwise never even realize that was an opportunity. So I think we, we had that insight. We wanted to create those opportunities. But I think separately, we deal with this every day, right? So college students are former high school students. <laughs> you know, they've, 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 they've just not graduated to college. And they show up at our doorstep. And it's not just here. I've, I've uh, adjuncted at three other universities. I've guest lectured at five other universities. The amount of students that willy-nilly decide to study sports management without any clear understanding for what they're actually going to do in that industry or a job that they can actually attain other than being the general manager for uh, their favorite team because they play video games or fantasy sports is appalling. And we started to, and then it's our job when we're, when we're inheriting those high school students that are now spending a lot of money to study sports management to help them understand and navigate career paths. Yes. But, but if they have no idea or have no expectation of what that career really looks like before they invest in all that, like that's a, that's a shame. And what mm-hmm. we identified was that, the reason their expectations are mismanaged is, isn't because of their own fault. It's because no one sat them down and taught them what are the actual job opportunities in sports. It, it was all those things coming together. But I think it, I don't think we would have had this idea had we not been professors because we had not because we're experiencing the, the ripple effect of not having a clear understanding of, of career opportunities on a daily basis, Jeff. Right? Sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially again here at, uh, at Johnson and Wales, we have an upside-down curriculum, right? So uh, students who have identified themselves as wanting to be a, a sports major, we're literally getting them three months after their high school graduation. And when you ask those students, well, great, you know, sports is what you've identified as a uh, potential career path. What does that mean for you? You know, the answers were really consistently falling into these three buckets of, um, I guess, I want to be an agent. 
I, I want to be general manager of, you know, the, the Panthers, you know, or I want to be in front of the camera on ESPN because those are sort of the only, you know, career paths they're comfortable with or that they're even aware of. And there's really a lack of recognition of all of the other countless opportunities that there are in areas that are, you know, probably a lot more tangible and probably a lot more have a lot more potential for them to be successful in Mm -hmm. Um, students just aren't thinking about sales careers and marketing careers and operations and all all the various things that, that, that go into it. So we were seeing the need firsthand and getting a lot of the same questions and saying like, this isn't just the, you know, an issue that this individual student is having. This, this is something that, you know, kind of prevalent across uh, those who are, you know, thinking about going into the industry because they like sports, but don't really know what that means other than that. So you mentioned, obviously, sports biz is helping students get a better understanding of available opportunities in sports. Now, are we talking about students before they actually get into college? Like, who, who are we identifying that can take advantage of these camps? Sports biz camps, sports business 101 for high school students. So our, our product is only focused on high school kids before they make college decisions. Okay. And then, so you're taking these high school kids that are moving into college and you're helping them close that gap for opportunities, which, which can obviously just mean so many different things. And to Jeff's point earlier about maybe the glamorous careers, if you will, that most people think about versus sales or marketing or anything behind the scenes. Do you see that they're getting the value that they're expecting, like whether they're surprised by it or they just honestly like didn't know what to expect coming into it? What have been some of the results of some of the camps that you've had already? Yeah, so that's a great question. And really what, you know, the one of the main objectives of the camps are to just simply provide some insight into what those career pathways are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but terms of surprise from, from the students, you know, a lot of what we were hearing on day one or two was, you know, I, I, I'm here because mom made me come here, right? They, they, mom and dad know that I like sports and they thought I, I, I might be interested in this. And by the end of the week, when we're uh, talking with parents on, on pickup day, you know, they turn around and say, you know, uh, Johnny was talking, you know, about this camp nonstop on the car ride home. You know, normally I can't get three words out of them, but, you know, this <laughs> light bulb went on. Right. So that idea of the light bulb going on is, again, a 16 year old being able to say like, wow, this is something I've spent so much of my time around sports. And there is a real pathway. There is an actual set of steps that I can take in order to make this something that I do uh, beyond the point when someone tells me I can no longer do it on the court or the field or the, or the rink. Yeah, I think our, our objective isn't this isn't a holistic solution to education for sports business. Right. It's a three day camp. Mm-hmm. So our, our, our KPI is awareness. I didn't know that I could do that is really what we're looking at. Um, and then once we have that curiosity, which is really what you want as a professor, you want someone to be curious to want to learn more on their own, then we could start to increase additional programming. Or by that, by that token, we've also introduced them to an industry professional that actually came and spoke to them or had lunch with them during the camp. And now you're starting to build momentum. So that's all we're trying to do is, is start to build a little momentum um, and get them stepping forward and thinking about what do I love? If I love sports, what career opportunities are there? What do I do in college if that's a potential pursuit for me? And even if I don't want to do that in college, um, how can that, what I learned from this camp help me put on a different trajectory for 
some other degree that I wanted to. But awareness is our KPI. And industry professionals, we would like talk to industry professionals who wanted to come and speak to the students. Or even when and Jeff and I were doing this, it was born out of us being unknowing 16-year-olds that loved playing sports, didn't really know what we want to do. And, and every every professional would come back to us as we were explaining the, the concept. And Jeff, what would they say? Yeah, I, I think this was uh, the thing that got us excited as we were building it. But every time across the board, it was, I wish they had this when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I wish something like this existed where, where I could have known earlier than when I was about to walk across the uh, graduation stage. Because they wasted time. They wasted money. They meandered through different careers until they realized what they really wanted to do. And and that affected them a couple different ways. And that's why they were so adamant to j- jump in and get involved because it, it was just that, that lack of awareness that is probably the biggest impediment, at least for the audience that we're focused on. So if you have students that are interested in sports, but they're just not aware of what the career paths and the opportunities may be. That's one side of it. What about, have you ever ran into, have you ever ran into an issue where you've had students who, whether it's one student or a collective of students that has been told not to pursue a career in sports for one reason or another? Uh, That's that's an interesting question, Um, but it, it does kind of talk to the fact that Part of the reason that students don't understand it is that adults don't understand it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've worked in the industry for 20 years, and if you ask my mom to tell you what I do, she'd have a hard time at doing so. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, I think for parents who are about to make this huge investment in their child's education, and they're saying, you know, the, the, the sports industry, well, what what can you do with that? And, and it, it becomes a little bit of, uh, you know, them getting defensive and saying, like, you know, is, is this a legitimate career path? And the, the child doesn't know the answer to that. They say, oh, I mean, maybe maybe mom's right about this. So, you know, I don't know that it's um, as common as people being steered away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's a, a bit of confusion where, where people don't know where it can take them. Yeah. So the reason that I'm asking that specific question goes back to actually my personal experience coming out of high school and going into college, I think I had maybe one meeting with a guidance counselor about trying to determine what major I was going to declare as, you know, an 18 year old, not knowing what I wanted to do in life. And I had mentioned that I loved sports and I played sports and I can't even remember if this guidance counselor actually knew if I played sports or not. But in that meeting room, my guidance counselor told me that I should think about any career other than sports, because I was so passionate about it and I loved it so much that they were afraid that I was going to go into it and realize that you do a lot of weekends, you do a lot of weeknights, you get burnt out and those type of things. And I think she was maybe trying to protect me in some ways, but in other ways, it was something that it took me eight years after I graduated college to start my own business on the side to get back into sports. And I spent a lot of that time in between just trying to figure things out, not really sure what direction and the whole time in the back of my head. I think if I really just sat down and was more confident as a you know 22 year old, I would have said, okay, sports is the direction I want to go. So that was the reason that I asked. And I'm just curious if you've ever had any interaction with whether it's students, parents, guidance counselors, anyone that can help influence these kids and that was the whole reason that I asked that question. Um, was um, was that a academic advisor, a faculty advisor? Who and we don't have to name names. Do you think that person was actually in a position? Well, I guess two things I would unpack there. Yeah. One, 
I can't speak for that individual. I, I'm not even a parent, so I really don't know how it all works. But I, I don't think you tell people what not to do. You provide them information. Mm-hmm. You make sure that they that the blind spots are no longer blind, and you let them make whatever decision that they feel is best for them. So I think, and with with respect to your personal situation, <laughs> I, I think that you were railroaded a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know when I advise students, I don't say, don't do that. I say, hey, just so you know, before you do that, you might have to work weekends. It might be kind of a challenge, but if you're up for it, go for it. So I, I would say that's step one. And then, and then I step, step two, it's understanding what your objectives are. Like we've worked a lot. I worked all, I work a lot now. I worked a lot when I worked for, like, I like hard work. Like I, I don't, that has nothing to do with those two things to me are correlated. If someone is really, advising you and, and, and understood who you were and what made you tick, especially as an athlete, they would probably know that you like practice, you like work, you like effort, you like that type of thing. So sure. I, I think in, in that instance, we all can be better advisors, be more consultative in nature and not try to project maybe someone's personal experience uh, on that. But to answer your question, we don't tell people to do it or not to do it. This, the, the KPI for us isn't the amount of people that work in the sports industry. We simply want to let them know what it actually means to work in the sports industry. And that does include long hours. That does include rough days after a loss when you have to pick up the phone and make a couple sales and no one wants to answer your calls. Like <laughs> All those are real things. And if you have that information in hand, then you should be entitled to make whatever decision you want, which is the, the function of education. It's to make people aware, to educate them, to give them the information so they can make whatever decision they want. So uh, we, we don't encounter that too much. I mean, there are people that get in and then can't handle it, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's probably because – they were in it for their own reasons, maybe, and their passions weren't either as deep as they wanted, or it was all passion and no, no intellectual kind of connection to it. Yeah, and I think that happens in any career, right? You get somebody that maybe is super passionate about economics, or they're super passionate about whatever it is, and they get into it, and they just find that it's not for them, and they move on to something else. So it's definitely not a sports exclusive type thing, but. So I'm wondering, I guess my last follow-up to all of this then, is there a market opportunity you think to be able to educate, whether it's parents or whether it's guidance counselors in high schools, much in the way that we just walked through <laughs> some of the, the negative aspects if, if you don't know the information and some of the, the bad information you could be giving students. So you obviously are influencing the students, but is there a market opportunity to be influencing some of the adults in the conversation as well? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, who, who's advising the advisors, I guess, right? Um, <laughs> right. You know, there's starting to become structure around it. Uh, Pat and I were really surprised as we kind of started this endeavor. CMS, the, the local uh, school district here, all you know, 19 of their schools have a, a CTE career technical education program, uh, and many of those schools actually have uh, sports marketing classes. So those teachers are who we're aligning with in order to have those conversations with students. Um, so, you know, we're trying to do a little bit of educating them again on the career paths, the different possibilities. Um, so we're talking a little bit with advisors, uh, quite a bit with teachers. But, you know, we were we were shocked to find that uh, the resources out there are far different than they were 10 years ago or mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, there's absolutely a market opportunity. So as we started to think through this. We wanted to take away from intuition to empirical evidence of the evolution of the sports industry, okay? And and the sports industry now is 
upwards of an $80 billion industry. You know, in 10, 15 years ago, it was an $8 billion industry, maybe it's 20, but it's probably three to four times X what it used to be. So clearly the industry has more career opportunities. And, and there's also a lot more opportunities for students to get sports business education to meet that. So I think at last check, there's somewhere between 360 to 400 different universities offer sport, offering sports management programs. Once again, late 90s, early 2000s, there's maybe 40 or 80. So like the, the market was clearly there. Like we're, we're selling sports business education and there's a huge market for it. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to inform people throughout the process and provide some consultation so they have a, a clear understanding of what is the college experience and, and how to make that and how to evaluate that experience versus like into what the career opportunity is. And then you start to peel back. There's college advisors that families spend money on. There's people that take SAT prep courses. There's summer camps like and I'm not sure if it was a big thing for you in Syracuse, Colin. It wasn't for me in Cleveland, but the amount of people in Charlotte and surrounding that send their kids away for weeks at a time or in the entire summer is astronomical. So that's a, there's a huge economy built around education, supplemental education, uh, college prep, and, and career advancement. So that's really all we're trying to build into. Very interesting. And so as a business, I mean, do you have any – near future plans that you want to share with some of the listeners if they're interested in learning a little bit more about it. And just in general, if you'd like to give us some information about where they can find out more about what's going on with the business. Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, we, you know, sort of joke about having built the plane in the air a bit last year, but I, <laughs> I think our the success that we had and some of the feedback from the students, you know, probably exceeded our expectations and even hopes in some areas. Um, so we're looking to expand both here in Charlotte with additional programming uh, that happens throughout the year, but we are looking at entering nine uh, additional markets for the summer of 2020, uh, where we'll be able to deliver sports biz camps uh, in cities like Pittsburgh, Detroit, Indianapolis. Uh, we'll be going to New Jersey, Atlanta. Um, so for us to be able to go from one city to nine cities that quickly is something that we're really excited about. And uh, our goal is to be able to serve more than a thousand students this upcoming summer. Yeah, I think we should have contextualized a little bit too. The camp was free for students to attend for 95% of the attendees. So this wasn't uh, Colin's parents funding it. Mm -hmm. We went out and we secured sponsorship from local companies, local national companies that funded the cost for Colin to actually attend. So that's really important because when you think about our purpose, going back to Jeff and I's stories, we were really lucky. You know, we had resources, we had opportunity, we we lived in the right neighborhood, went to the right schools where people that we knew had these jobs. So we wanted to to create more opportunities for people that maybe don't have that type of background. So that was pursuant to our mission. So we found the sponsorships to provide opportunities for Colin to go to this type of camp at no cost because cost is a major barrier. And as we started to do that, we really kind of stumbled upon this amazing opportunity, which is uh, people want to support these types of enriching opportunities for young people. And in that instance, it's corporations, but even individuals, I'm sure we didn't ask for individual donations, but I'm sure people would have made those for us. Uh, as we look at 2020, Jeff mentioned expansion, but we're actually going to be operating under uh, the umbrella of a nonprofit of 501c3 called Sports Biz Carriers, which we're very excited to announce. This is the first time we've actually talked to somebody about it. Cool. So going forward, Sports Biz Camps will be a program underwritten by Sports Biz Carriers, which is a 501c3 foundation. And that that foundation uh, has the same mission from Sports Biz Camps, which is to better educate and in doing so create more opportunities for people to work in the sports industry and do so at a younger age. It's also going to fund scholarships for uh, specifically for women and minorities, which are underrepresented in our sports industry, as there are in many industries. 
to actually pursue career opportunities while they're in college and post-grad. So that's the probably the most exciting element of 2020 is that now we're operating. We're always mission-oriented. We're always mission-first. We were never profit-driven, um, but we were operating as LLC just because it's kind of what we had developed. Mm-hmm. Now we're a foundation, and now we can accept all sorts of different opportunities from corporations, from individual donations. We're engaged in a significant fundraising campaign. So as you, to answer your question with respect to how can people listen to this podcast get involved, they can engage with us, provide us their point of view. Maybe maybe they had the same type of insight, which is I wish I had this in high school. We'd love to hear that story. They can get involved in helping deliver content. They can be mentors to our students. They can help lead some of these programs in our local markets. Uh, and ultimately, at some point, too, we would love uh, to ask them for some funds to help fund these scholarships and fund these programs. That's awesome. Such exciting news coming up and i'm so glad to hear that everything is obviously going so well so far and hopefully we'll continue to i'm going to put in the show notes for anyone listening to this episode where you can find more about the business and i'm sure everything related to what you just talked about will be in the business website as well so we'll get all of that your contact information into that so real easy for listeners to get in touch with you if they are interested in learning more or getting more involved. But we are getting towards the end of our conversation here. And I always like to wrap up the conversation. I mean, obviously, Jeff and Pat, you are both on here today because you're leaders in a number of different ways, not only with students and the way that you're influencing them as teachers and professors, but now in your business venture together. But we've had a lot of people throughout our lives that influenced us in one way or another that are leaders. And I always like to give our guests an opportunity to shout out a dynamic leader or two in their own life. That's the name of the show. So uh, is there anyone, and I'll give you both an opportunity to answer this, that you want to give a quick shout out to today that stands out as a leader in your life? You know, it's, uh, I guess, a pretty standard answer for somebody who spent so much time around uh, sports. But you know, my college hockey coach was probably, you know, outside of my parents, probably one of the most influential uh, people in my adult life. And, you know, just much like we're trying to do here with sports biz camps, you know, he used our interest in sports as a Trojan horse to kind of get in our heads as an opportunity to, you know, teach us about leadership and teach us about uh, adulting and, and all of those sort of things. So, you know, not only did I spend six days a week with this man for four years, you know, he was pretty intentional about life lessons, leadership lessons, uh, and that type of thing. So I I, I clearly say that that's probably one of the the biggest influences in my early career. Um, yeah, my mind, there's, I've I've been blessed to work for some amazing people. So I, I know you only wanted one, but I'll, I'll give you one, but just know that everyone else I've worked for it. I'm very lucky. Uh, his name is Jim Kaler. So, uh, he is the, the the guy that intervened when I was in college. I was kind of rudderless, if you will, and, and I've you know grown up around him and his family. And he's been an amazing mentor to me. He's a servant leader in the sense that he's he's constantly trying to create opportunities for other people in the sports industry. He's currently an executive director for the Center for Sports Administration at Ohio University. Well, that's a mouthful, but he, he's got a long story career in the, in the sports industry. And I think clearly, without me ever really pinpointing my mission, I'm. I'm I so appreciate what he did for me that it's clearly driving me to do that for someone else. All right. Well, those are great shout outs and an awesome way to end our conversation today. But Pat and Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the episode. It was really great to 
learn about your background and how that's all led to this amazing venture together with sports biz camps. And I really hope people took a lot out of this conversation. I know I did just from my listening perspective, but can't thank you enough for both of you for taking the time to hop on the show today. Thanks, Colin. It was a lot of fun. Uh, pleasure to do it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That wraps up the conversation with Pat and Jeff. Thank you again to both of those guys for hopping on the podcast. It was awesome to learn more about sports biz camps and it's great to hear that everything is off to a great start and they're moving towards a lot of exciting aspects of their business in the future, obviously. So keep an eye on that. There's a lot of information in the show notes for you to reference and check out as well if you want to get in touch with either of those men or learn more about the business. Shout out to my sponsor, Sweat With Stads. Go to www.sweatwithstads today and figure out what she can do for your fitness future tomorrow. Thank you, as always, to my guests. You are great coming back week after week and motivating me to keep putting out great content. I really do appreciate it. We are back on Thursday with a special Halloween episode of The Lion Chat with Danny Faye. 